too. Um, and, and as I was thinking about that, it's like, um, in some ways, about 11.15 last night, I heard a roar in Millersburg. Well, an imaginary roar, because many of you were roaring at about 11.15 last night. Uh, and I, I was thinking about that. I think, well, that's kind of a trivial way to think about. Do you know what happened at 11.15 last night? The uh, baseball team in Cleveland beat the Yankees. There is some justice in beating Yankees. Um, and, and by the way, do you know what the Yankees' problem is? I figured out their problem. They rely on one person or several key people. And the other team, the Cleveland team, the Guardians, rely, I mean, their team. They play team baseball. And there was a joy that they could share when it wasn't just about one person. Um, I get particularly delight in watching, well, them beat the Yankees, but I, I particularly delight in watching the, the players who who are in the dugout when something good happens. And, and they're also young. They're impossibly young, but they jump up and down. They're jumping up and down. They're, rejo- they're, they're delighted. They have a common goal, a common vision. And when they, when, they, when they win one, they score one, there's a common rejoicing. Now, I'm not going to try to spiritualize all of that, but, but it is an apt illustration of our lives. When we share together, when we together are in something, and it, is, it is, just isn't about one person or several key people, when we're together in something and good things happen, we can rejoice together. Please turn in your Bibles, copies of the Scriptures, to Acts 2 or on your devices. So the proper way to say it is please turn in your copies of the Scripture to Acts 2. In in a lot of ways, I think for both Chris and I, um, this has become a theme over the last two years maybe, this passage in Acts 2. Remember last summer, Acts 2, and uh, our experiment with reading the Gospels, our experiment with praying, uh, those are beautiful things, and I, I want to just return to that and, and suggest that, yes, someone's life is going to change this weekend. It will be changed. I, I speak on it from this end. When, when you're ordained, um, your life changes. It's okay. Uh, when you take a new job, your life changes. When you have a baby, your life changes. And in all those moments, we rejoice. And so maybe I'm suggesting at the end of the service, all the... PCF people jump up and down and make these signs that we all have as our own and and say, we won. We won. Together. Or we are winning. Together. And that is what's happening in Acts. There is something magnificent that happens in this passage in in Acts 2. And I think in order to understand it, um, you have to look at the first part of the chapter and, and I, I'm actually going to read something to you from Acts 2. We want to look at the end of the chapter. 
Acts 2, well, we'll begin at, at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit had enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under the heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each one of them can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea, and Cappadocia, and in Pontus, and in Asia, Phrygia and Familia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But some sneered and said, They're drunk on new wine. Now let's, um, let's go back and, and let's begin reading again uh, in, in verse 36. And I'm, I'm breaking right into the middle of Peter's sermon. But you know it's Peter's sermon. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were pierced to their heart and said to, the Peter, said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. That is an amazing piece of scripture. So this is just a few months, or this is shortly after Jesus' death. And the apostles prior to this time were scared, locked into the upper room until the Holy Spirit came and fell on them, and it radically changed them. And, and they, they go out, and there's this large group of people. And, and by the way, I looked at the maps. Uh, it is all around the Mediterranean basin. Uh, these people are all around... They, some of these countries are historic enemies who are at war with each other almost constantly. 
and, and they're gathering in Jerusalem. Many of them are Jews, but not only Jews. So some of these countries are at war. They're sworn enemies when it comes to national and political affiliation. And Peter gets up and preaches, and, and, and everyone can hear, or the brothers get up, it says, and preach. And, and, and this is amazing. So I, I often wonder how this worked. Like, how, how could somebody hear it in their language? How can Dwendal hear it in English, and, and Merlin hear it in Pennsylvania Dutch, and is there anyone who speaks Spanish here? How can, how can Matt hear it in Russian, and somebody hear it in Spanish? Like, how does this happen? We don't know. It is a powerful moment in the life of the church because suddenly the apostles and, and the Jesus followers, a hundred, roughly 100 people or 120 people, the Jesus followers begin to understand the magnitude of what God wants to do using them. And it, 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 it absolutely revolutionizes the church. And, and all these people come and say, we want to be baptized. Now think about, just think. Suppose in, this, in, this, in our modern world, this would be similar to, to someone from Russia, someone from the Ukraine, someone from North Korea, someone from China, someone... with skin, African-American, someone with pure white skin, some who swear to one political allegiance and others to the others, and they all have the same question. How should we be saved? And suddenly the things that had divided them cease to exist because there's something bigger. There's something bigger. And when that bigger thing comes along, they want to be part of it. They saw something in the apostles and the followers of Jesus that said, I want to be part of that. And so they're baptized that day. So, so the church grew from 120 people to 3,120 people in one afternoon. And, and then it says, the apostles would have led this. They devoted themselves. The day there, in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and, and to prayer. The day there that they're talking about, the day that begins 42, uh, is the followers of Jesus. It is not the apostles. It is the, follow- it is the 3,100 people. It's not just the, the leaders. It is the 3,100 people. And here is what unified the early church who had as many differences among them as what we would have if we had a mixed group of people here today. Actually, Sometimes it is, it is almost harder, sometimes the, the small things, and there are small things that can divide us. The Satan is interested in stealing and killing and dividing. That's what he's interested in. He's interested in us beginning to say things like, oh, I wonder how they voted on that issue. Oh, you know, we just, we just voted, we just had this uh, process, a beautiful process as a, as a church where we looked at a passage of Scripture and said we've historically practiced this way, how should we practice? And you know what? The joyful part of that is not all of you voted the same. That's beautiful. Because that means if we all have always thought the same, some of us would be unnecessary. And I don't want to, you know, we're not. And, and, 
and th there are other differences that, that divide us. Uh, some of you think, um, um, well, I, I want to be a little careful because I don't want to focus on that. Okay? It's, but you know it. You know it. Some of you come from the Amish. Some of you don't. Some of you care more about one thing. Some of you just say, well, I wonder why he cares that much about that. You know? so, so there are so many things. And those are all points that, that, God, that Satan wants to use to divide us. And that God wants to bring together into one body. And we focus on something bigger than ourselves. An end goal that is bigger than ourselves. And notice what they focused on. So they have all these diverse people. And they focus on four things. The apostles' teachings. What is the apostles' teaching? Remember we went through this? This is, our, this is my heart. What is the apostles' teaching? What is it? What did the apostles teach them? Who did they teach them about? Come on. They taught them about a person. Who's the person? Absolutely. You know what? We can, we can all dress alike. You can all dress in blue suits and, and light blue shirts and brown shoes and wear an Apple Watch and come to church. And they would say, now that is the blue church. Or whatever. Okay, We could all look alike, but that doesn't mean we have unity. That means we're uniform in our dress. That doesn't mean we have any unity. What brings unity to a group of people is to have something bigger than ourselves that we together build around. And that bigger than ourselves that we together build around is a person. It is not the scriptures. It is a person. It is Jesus. And so in a moment of, of time when our church is, is, is excited and we're excited about change, I call us back to saying, at the heart of who we are as Jesus people are Jesus followers. And that means that we don't all have to agree. That means that we can actually say and we can embrace and say, this is a diverse group of people who love Jesus. And when I look at my brother and sister, instead of looking at them and saying, no, I think um, I see Wayne is wearing a white sweater or a light colored sweater. That's cream or whatever it is. I see, uh, I, wonder why, I wonder why he would do that. I mean, that is, those words, those things that are implanted in your mind in those moments are from the devil. Look at me. They are from the devil. Because you are not seeing Wayne. You're seeing what he's, you're not seeing Wayne, you're seeing his sweater. And it's that simple. Uh, and sometimes people say stuff. Uh, Tim, you said this yesterday, and I want to get this right. Uh, when we were talking yesterday, you said it's easy it's easy for us to judge people on our, to judge ourselves. Can you say that for me? Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. We judge others by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. So, so well, it's easy for us. To, yeah, we're heading in the right direction. We have a good heart in this. But then we look at other people and we judge them by their actions. And you know what we should do? Is we should look past that and see that heart that wants to follow Jesus and call us to that place. Where do we find that common ground in Jesus? So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship. Uh, 
I, I tried to do, uh, by the way, the word uh, devoted means to exist. So they existed in, this is what brought them life. They existed in Jesus. Huh. You know, it is, it is, it is really that simple. They existed in Jesus. They existed, and I, I just want to focus on that this morning. I'm not going to belabor the point, but when we exist in Jesus. And what does that mean practically? It means that we look beyond what people are doing and saying, and we say, what are, where's their heart? And we appeal to that space in them when there are differences. Now, I also want us to note, um, I want us to note something about what happened. So, so, what happens when they do this? First of all, um, they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. You want true joy? You want to experience joy? That is much bigger than the Guardians winning the World Series, or the Browns winning today, or the weather being right, or shooting the biggest buck of your lifetime, or whatever accomplishment, owning the largest business in Holmes County. You want a joy that goes beyond that? You find that in Jesus and in relationship with the Jesus followers around you. So joy. And the other thing I noticed, um, everyone was filled with awe. Do you want to know what would inspire awe in Holmes County? A church who said, we're circling around Jesus. We're building around Jesus. Everyone was filled with awe. So joy and awe, and there was a tremendous unity there. A unity that went beyond political boundaries and nationalities and language and everything else. By the way, later I thought, I wonder if they kept hearing it. I, kept, I wonder if the, every time the disciples preached in church, if they then heard it in tongues. Because they speak different languages. I don't know. But that, you know what? Tongues isn't the point. The point is Jesus. And anyway, so, so that joy, that awe, and that unity created a generosity and favor and growth. So joy and awe, when we are living joyfully and when we are in awe of what God is doing in our lives and lives of the people around us and we bind together in unity, it will create a generosity where we give our lives to the kingdom and it will create favor. People, notice it says, uh, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their numbers. If we want true church growth, if we want to really grow the church of Jesus Christ, love Jesus. Live in love of Jesus. And live in love of your fellow man. And see the life of Jesus in the people around you. And embrace that piece of them. And love that piece of them. So as we go forward as a church, it will change. But you know what? What doesn't change? Jesus. Jesus. And we can build around that. That is what will bring unity to Providence. Let's stand together. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you, um, that you gave your life. 
Thank you for the gospel, for, for your heart, where you said, I want to bring love and unity to the world. For you reversed the Tower of Babel, and you brought us together. And Lord, thank you for providence. And I pray that as we look at each other, that we would see, look for that, the spaces of Jesus, the places where Jesus is in our brothers and sisters, and hear their hearts as we walk together. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.